Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, friends. This is our last interview of 2023, and it's such a treat. I always get so excited right before I'm about to publish something because I just know what you're getting ready to hear, and you're going to love it. I hope you can hear or can't hear, rather, the background noise at my podcast studio, a.k.a. I'm in the kitchen, and my precious Ella is down the hall, and she is singing at full volume in the shower. (laughs) Anyway, I have loved the opportunity to connect and remember with so many interesting people this season, people that I know and love, and even those who I stretched myself to invite and include, people who I, I have admired from afar. It's been a total delight to do this. It's been a stretch for sure in asking and a joy in connecting, and I want to do more of it in 2024. But what is totally fitting for the final interview of the year is that I help remember and tell the work of someone who I love, who just knows me well, knows my own story, and somebody who I've watched for many years now follow Jesus in beautifully faithful and real ways. Today, I'm interviewing my friend, Amy Hopper. She's a college bestie, hilarious and wonderful, a boy mom, a neat freak, and I know this because I lived with her, an absolute breath of fresh air in my life always. Amy is the family ministry director at Ardmore First Methodist, where she's served for the last almost 14 years. She lives in Ardmore, Oklahoma with her husband, Chris. Hi, Chris, who is the worship and media arts director at the same church. And yes, they work together every day and live together. And we're going to talk about that. They have two boys, Hayden and Logan. Amy loves the local church. And that's largely what you're going to hear us talk about today. So if you're burnt out in vocational ministry, If you've ever wondered whether your regular life in your regular church matters, if you've ever questioned whether building community is worth the effort that it legitimately takes, this episode is for you. Amy's full of wisdom and wit on all such matters. So thanks for tuning in and make sure you listen all the way through to the butterfly story. Welcome to We Have This Hope. Today's interview checks two boxes for me. The first is capturing the story of God's work in the life of the church and an incredible woman, God's work in the kingdom, and getting to help share that story with you who are listening. And the other box it checks for me today is that I get to catch up with someone who I love dearly, one of my favorite people in the world, one of my dearest friends from college days somebody I lived with for a few years, and someone who is doing things for the kingdom of God within the local church context, someone who has a lot of wisdom for us today. And that is my dear friend, Amy Hopper. 
Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We've been chatting before she got to sit through some technical difficulties on my part. Good thing my husband was available (laughs) for me to reconnect my microphone. So anyway, today Amy is going to talk a little bit about her journey from college to being a teacher in the classroom to working in youth ministry and now what she does with families and adult education in the church context. And I have gotten a front row seat to her story in her life. It's really good. It's really rich. I know she probably feels very humble about it, but I know that she has a lot to share. So I'm excited. Amy, what are you doing today? You know, I took a vacation day to be on your podcast just so I could rest in my house. It's so quiet right now. There's no children running around. I'm just enjoying it. Yay. This is a vacation for me right now. (laughs) I feel so honored. Thank you. Yeah. I wish y'all could see her too. She has her pretty Christmas tree in the background. It's very cozy. All right. Amy, tell us a little bit about who you do life with regularly. I haven't mentioned some of the important men in your life, but tell us who they are and then what your, I don't know, what your regular days look like. I came from a house full of girls and now I am in a house full of boys, young men, I'd like to say. I take it very seriously, raising boys Mm -hmm. to become good men one day, good husbands and daddies. I am married to Chris. We have been married now for 13 years. We both serve at our local church here at First Methodist Ardmore. He is the contemporary worship leader for our epic service. And now, like you said, I am doing family ministry. So every day at home and at work, I am with him, which is actually great for us. We we enjoy it. Our offices are getting closer and closer to one another. At the beginning, they were very far apart. And in our older age, we have grown to to be closer. So we are together all the time. But that's so he's my the first person I'm with all the time. And then we have our first son, Hayden Jane. He just turned nine. He is a third grader at Ardmore Schools. He is my sweet and creative and tender-hearted firstborn child. I adore him so much. He is just a light, just Mm. such a compassionate kiddo. So he is our firstborn. And then it took us a long time to get pregnant the second time. And I prayed and prayed so hard to have a second child. And I am so glad Logan came when he did. He was born in 2019, right before COVID hit. And he is just our sunshine. He is fun and crazy and joyful. And I, we all just needed him during that time. Mm-hmm. So his name, again, is Logan Warren, named after my grandfather. And Hayden is Hayden James, named after Hayden, Chris's grandfather. And those are my boys. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that Logan is four. should have said that. Just turned four. Precious boys. Yeah. For anybody that knows you or just when you said you come from a girl household, it's like not just a girl household, but like a strong girl household. Like the bird women 
are not meek women. Right. <laughs> Correct. So I love that you have a boy household. In fact, what I mean, Hayden just had a birthday and you were texting me and our other best friend, Amy Ann, a picture of like the morning after a sleepover with a bunch of little yeah. boys at your house. And you were like, I survived. Yes. Yes, we survived it. It was fun. Awesome. You already alluded to this a little bit of your work in the local church, and but you started out as a teacher. We, so you and I met at the University of Oklahoma while we, we were in the same sorority and just became friends and lived together for a few years, shared an apartment. So with some of that background, would you talk about how you got into teaching and sort of how maybe the undercurrent of youth ministry was there all along? Yes. So like you said, I went to the University of Oklahoma and I got my degree in early childhood education. And I've always had an intention in my life to be a public school teacher. Both of my parents served in public education and I just felt like that was my passion and that's really what I wanted to do with my life. I accepted a job at Denton ISD in 2008. I taught second grade there for two years. And that was kind of in the middle of Chris and I were not engaged yet. And we were trying to figure out kind of where we wanted to land. And Chris had gotten a job at First Methodist Ardmore, like I said, to start a contemporary service. And if you, if you can think back to 2008, you know, that was kind of the rise of contemporary services beginning. And so he was a part of starting the contemporary service there, and it, it actually went really, really well. And so in his growth there at the contemporary service, I think it was just hard to make a decision about me moving to Ardmore because teachers' pay in Ardmore is significantly less than in Texas and just trying to figure out logistics of that I and mean, what it was going to look like. And of course, he was willing to move to Texas if that's what we needed to do. And so in that decision-making, I had been attending Matt Chandler's church, The Village, in Flower Mound. I had been meeting my twin sister there, Emily. Mm -hmm. We had kind of gone, that was kind of halfway for us. And so we went there, and we had been going several times. And one, one day, I don't think it was on a Sunday, because I think that we went to church at like the evening, like on a Tuesday night or something. Yeah, like 20-somethings can do Yes, like, when yes. you're a young thing. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, it's um, 8 p.m., let's go to church. Yes, I believe, I believe that's how it was. And he had given a sermon about serving the church. And I just felt like he looked directly at me, and he was just... He just said, some of you are in here right now and you are being called to serve in your local church. And the local church is vital. It's important. And it just stirred something in me that God had been doing. I had been really restless, wanting to stay in Denton. I felt like I really owed it to my parents who had paid for my education, you know, to kind of see that through. Mm -hmm. And with Ardmore calling, you know, they were they were offering a children's ministry position there. And I didn't have any idea what that looked like. And it was just kind of nerve wracking to give up what I thought the plan was for my life. But I just felt this immense pull back to Ardmore. And 
as I told my dad when I was trying to explain it to him, as I was saying, I'm going to take a pay cut and I'm also going to lose my health insurance and I'm going to live in Ardmore, but it's going to be okay because I can sleep at night without the Holy Spirit telling me that I'm supposed to do this over and over again. Um, my dad and mom were so supportive, so kind. And I moved back here. I took the job. And so Chris stayed as the contemporary worship leader. And I started children's ministry here at Ardmore First. And I would say that that is the most peace I've ever felt is just saying yes to what I know he was calling me to do. I like hearing you retell that because I remember your apartment in Denton. I remember these conversations like that we're having, like, I'm going to take a pay cut. Is this the right thing to do? What we didn't mention is that you are from Ardmore. Yeah. And First Methodist Ardmore played a role or people at that church played a significant role in your own spiritual development. So actually, will you back up and say, like, how did your hometown of Ardmore and the people in that in the church context there in Ardmore, how did that play into your story of following Jesus? Like, when did that happen? So Chris and I both grew up at the First Baptist Church of Ardmore. Oh, I know. And now we both work at the First Methodist Church of Ardmore. Sweet, sweet story. But I do, I have a memory at a really young age of being at First Baptist Church with my granddaddy. And he was walking me into church. And the First Baptist Church here is just beautiful red brick building. And I remember looking up at the steeple and just feeling this immense love. And not love for myself or for my grandfather, but love for the for the building, for the for the church. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being a little girl and just loving going to church, attending church. And, you know, my parents did us right. You know, we were at church every Sunday. (laughs) I don't think my grandparents would have had it any other way. (laughs) Very faithful. It was a priority. And I think being immersed in the church was the foundation of my belief. But I think I just had a soft heart towards God. And, you know, looking back now, I I think that that's from the faithfulness of my grandparents. Mm -hmm. You know, one verse that always comes to mind that I think about a lot is, Exodus chapter 20, you know, in verse five, it says um, that he's a jealous God and that he that he punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generations for those who don't follow him. And, you know, I see that as, um, you know, you kind of see the mistake of your sin. You know, those are Mm -hmm. generations that you can see that you would probably live through. But he promises to show love to a thousand generation of those who love me. And I think that just my My rich history for Chris and I both of parents and grandparents and beyond that believed. I believe that our hearts are softened. And I just believe that I've just kind of always loved God. I I just have always felt his love for me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, I would say that I became in a relationship with God at, of course, a Baptist church camp. I mean, that's everyone's story, (laughs) I think. With your raised in this in southern Oklahoma. And of course, we came back and we were baptized because that's what you did. But I can just remember thinking, what does my yes to Jesus, like, what does that mean? Like, what's past this moment? And we didn't really talk a lot about the Holy Spirit back then. 
And we didn't talk a lot about giftings. It was just that you're a believer and everyone else now, you need to get them to be a believer. And I had a lot of legalism in my life and a lot of checking boxes for me. I think I thought faith was doing my Bible study every day, going to church every Sunday and not messing up. And in my teenage years, I just kind of learned that, you know, we're not perfect people. And Chris and I both, we just had a bunch of friends that went to the Methodist church. And there was a youth director there named Jeremy Sanders. And we just kind of fell in love with that youth group and what was happening there. And from the Methodist church, I learned all about grace. And I had never learned about that. I learned all about the Holy Spirit and what he can do in your life. And I learned so much about mission work and how to love your neighbor. And I just really fell in love with the Methodist church as a whole, mainly because of the people that were there. Mm -hmm. And I saw them living out their faith in a way that was not a to-do list, but it was more tangible in love and just being a light to all those around. And so from there, I think Chris and I would call that, you know, our home church. Now, of course, that we work there. I just think it's just one of those things that was in God's plan. I think that's where we were meant to be. And I think he saw that before, before we even came back. I think he just put a love in our heart for that specific place. So you moved back to Ardmore, to your hometown, but your family wasn't there anymore, right? Other than your grandmother and your grandfather. Right. My granddaddy and my grandmommy were here, right? But Emily, my twin sister, worked in Dallas, and my parents had actually moved to Texas as well. And so, yes, it was almost like I moved to Texas to be near them, and then I was like moving back. So really, you're coming back to your hometown, but your hometown looks very different in a way. Your family's not there anymore, and you're starting a new job and your new life with Chris. So what was that like? Well, you know, I don't even, I, I we didn't have kids, so I'm sure it was very quiet and <laughs> lovely. <laughs> I don't even know what we did with all of our time. I, I have no idea. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Oh squandered it that's what we did yes I think I just laid around I don't know <laughs> I think my house was clean I have no idea okay so yes we moved back here and like I said he was doing the contemporary service and then their youth director they were looking for a new youth director and so you know in the local church you usually wear multiple hats <laughs> and they came to Chris and they asked if he would be interested in doing youth ministry along with his worship position. And we just loved the idea of doing youth ministry together. And so he started youth ministry. And like I said, so we were kind of in charge of kinder birth to 12th grade. I don't know why they would have entrusted us with such a big job. So Yes, we I did the children's ministry and he did the youth ministry, which also meant that I did both. So yes, I'm glad yes. you said it that way. I'm glad you said it that way because <clears throat> I like I know this about you, but just as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, you were the children's director. So you're knowing those kiddos from birth. And yes. then you're also leading a small group in your home of high school yes. girls. Your yes. whole world is really wrapped up in the young people at your church. What was hard about children's ministry in the local church and what was just rich and deep and good? 
So children's ministry, I feel like it can go one of two ways. It can either be like a thrown away thought and just kind of used as babysitting and, you know, just run by sweet grandmas or just volunteers. We're just trying to keep kiddos safe, you know, during church. But my perspective on it was this is the time where you can just grab their hearts for the Lord and I just didn't quite understand when I would hear things like, oh, well, they're just so excited to start youth ministry. You know, they're in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, why weren't they excited to come before? And so I just really thought this can happen. You know, church can be fun and we can learn about God and we can, as kids, I want the kids to want to be here. I want it to feel welcoming and I want it to be engaging And I just kind of took something that literally didn't exist, and I just kind of built something from the ground up. You know, when I first started, they probably had less than 20 kiddos. And now, you know, on an average, we're running close to 100 on a Sunday morning. Same thing with, like, vacation Bible school. You know, they'd have, like, 50 kids. And I just kind of had this passion to grow it to invite your friends, to invite young families. And so now our VBS is like two to 250, which I know in Tulsa maybe doesn't sound like a big number, but here in Ardmore, that's a a big feat. And so I think I just fell in love with the families that I was serving. And I just really wanted the kiddos to have had a moment to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, before they got into middle school, I really wanted us to start having those conversations. And to do that, you have to have quality children's ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. And 250 kids at a VBS is not a small feat. 250 children. I mean, that's a lot of children. That's incredible. So around the time that you're growing this ministry, you also had Hayden. And you know, Chris is growing in his position. He's doing more with his music and leading worship. He's traveling to lead worship. And so I want to ask you what it was like to balance that. And perhaps that answers the question of maybe what was hard about children's ministry is like, you know, making your own children in the process. But talk a little bit about what it's like, because I know that's been a thing that you've wrestled with of being in full-time vocational ministry and raising a young family. So one thing that I would say was the hardest was to just get to a place where I just wanted to be real. I wanted to be authentic. The leaders that I had seen in church growing up pretty much the whole way through was just this perfectionism, maybe that I felt like was unattainable for myself. And so I really did just try my best to just do life with people that we do church with and be an authentic mom, you know, that messes up, that maybe overreacts, maybe has too high of expectations. But yeah, it's hard when you're trying to watch everyone else's kid and then your kid is the one crying in the nursery. I'm like, it's just mine. It's fine. You can leave yours. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I think the balance came from just knowing that I I have to have my moments with God to be filled up. I can't pour out of a cup to my own family and to everyone else's families if I'm not taking a moment every day to just remind myself of my why and just to remind myself of the love of God for me and who who he is to me or I think I would just be empty and dry. 
I think there, of course, have been seasons where I've I've poured and poured and poured until I was so parched that I just had nothing else to give. And in those moments, just retreating back and always coming to the fact that I have my own relationship with the Lord that comes first. And so I think maybe that's the hard part is in vocational ministry, it's hard to stop and have your own quiet time because you are expected to just kind of always be on. And I've just kind of allowed myself to not always have to be on. Just really keeping boundaries of like when I feel like I need a break, I take a break. And I think longevity in ministry is, it's kind of like a lost art at this point because we don't stop and we don't take breaks and we don't love love our own family. And just a lot of things come from that. You know, the church in its entirety can run you raw um, because the church never ceases to be open or have a need. Mm-hmm. So hmm Yeah. Wow. That's a good way of framing it. The church doesn't close because the church is a right. body of people. Yeah. And there's always a need, multiple needs. And I liked your comment about longevity in ministry being a lost art. There's probably so much more to say there, but if you can think of any funny youth ministry stories, I'll ask maybe. Oh my oh. gosh. I know. They're not funny. They're terrible. Last night, Chris was laughing on his chair and he was like, I mean, don't you remember when they peed in the bottle and they sprayed it on each other? And I was like, yes, I do. I do remember that. (laughs) Amy, I think your work in youth ministry was probably (laughs) preparing you for a house of boys. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what it was doing. You know what I do want to say is as you were talking about perfectionism and just kind of giving up the facade of acting like you have it all together. And I hope this comes out without it. Not, I'm like, it is a compliment what I'm about to say, but it may sound like it's not, but you know how I feel about you. So it's okay. Right. Um, I think that is earnestly one of the things that I learned from you in college, because I also came to college as a youth group kid You know, just because of our, I think, because of that and because wanting to please and wanting to do the right thing and loving God, that you usually have to break down legalism if you're wired that way, right? So I came to college with a little of that going on um, and a bent toward putting my best face forward, even between me and God. And so I truly, one of the things I remember learning from you when I first met you was, was just how honest you were with God. I'm going to say this and I might not edit it. You cursed a little. Yeah. I tell every, I tell everyone that I was raised by wolves, you know, I mean, and then, and then God called me to into ministry. It's quite funny. It was kind of freeing for me because I was like, oh, well, Amy loves God. Amy is like hilarious and she's so honest. But really what it was teaching me was that I could say anything to God. He could handle my imperfection and my rawness or my anger or whatever. And I really did learn that from you and your occasional cursing. So thank you. Oh my goodness. Okay. I only curse just a little bit now. Yeah, just a little. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Okay, Amy, will you tell us then... The church has changed a lot since you guys have been there because how many years has it been now? So now we've been there for 13 years. 13 years. Yeah. I mean, your whole married life. Yeah. So 
how has your role at the church evolved? What Tell us what you do now and what that's like. So there was this moment, you know, I, I'm sure maybe you and Dustin felt this way, where we had been, you were know, married and then we'd had kids and then it's kind of like, okay, what, well, what now, you know, especially in your vocation, you know, you always mm-hmm. want to like step up, you know, like what's mm-hmm. my next step or, and I think that that is where, um, where God kind of met me. Um, I, I just had this, this longing, um, to do something more. And I just didn't know quite what it was. And it's one of those things where people ask you, well, are you just going to live in Ardmore forever? Are you just going to work at that church forever? And you're like, I don't know. Um, and, may- and maybe that that's a bad thing, you know? And so mm. kind of looking at our life, like, do we want to live in Oklahoma City? Do we want to live in Tulsa? Do we want to move to Dallas? Like, where, where do we want to be? And maybe just kind of searching through that. And he just always lands us right smack back here, right right where I guess he wants us to be this poor church but they offered me a position to move into a supervisory role family ministry where I would supervise nursery children and youth and so that was just one of those things where I thought you know I think this is the next step for me and so that happened and then COVID hit and so one thing we did during COVID was of course we started small groups because We couldn't really meet at the church. And so Mm -hmm. to start small groups, it was, it was a lot. And so we, we pushed that off and people did it for about a year. And then of course, all the young families came when COVID kind of got settled and they were like, okay, this is logistically a nightmare for us. Ardmore's small enough that you know everyone. And so if you don't have someone in your small group, then it's like, well, why are they not in our small group? You know, and so it's almost hard to create those friendship circles. And so several groups had come and said, we we just don't feel equipped to teach it. We really don't want to host it. You know, it's logistically a nightmare. And it was just kind of one of those things where they said, would you be willing to teach our group? And, you know, I the yes was out of my mouth before I even knew what I had said yes to. And I think, again, just another moment of God, just yes. And and I did. I started teaching this group at church at 10 a.m. on campus where there was child care and no one had to bring food and they had a teacher and it was just kind of a closed Sunday school class is what I, is what I would call it. And I've done that now for over a year. And so that's kind of how my class started taking root. And from there, we've done a lot of parenting studies. And we've gone through some biblical studies, of course, as well. But we have just formed a bond. And we're just kind of raising our kiddos together. Mm. We're doing life together. And so I guess my teaching is okay enough to keep going. <laughs> they haven't fired me yet. And so (laughs) I'm in that supervisory role, like I said, making sure our nursery kiddos and youth are all taken care of. And now I'm into this parenting adult equipping mode. Okay, Amy, you do such a beautiful job of talking about real life in the local church. I think we see people who are doing ministry on a really grand scale, like they're on a stage, 
they have a platform and that work is so good and so important. So I don't want to diminish that work. But I think what happens is that the work of the local church doesn't get elevated to be like, this is what real life is Mm -hmm. when we're following Jesus. Eugene Peterson talks about like a long obedience or a slow obedience in the same direction that like, that's really what life in the local church is like. Since you've been teaching this class and building relationships with the adults and the other parents in your church community, there have been some really profound relationships that you've made and you've had profound loss and that community has had to do highs and lows together. Would you share a little bit about your friend Kristen? Yes, I would love to. So like I said, I started teaching the class in the fall of 2022. And right around then, we had a new family come to our church. Their names are Clay and Kristen. And they have two little boys, Warren, who is Hayden's best buddy, and Reed, who is around Logan's age. And they started coming in the summer. And I'll never forget, I saw them in the hall and I was like, oh my gosh, I knew Clay from high school. I didn't know Kristen. And so, oh my gosh, I can't believe you guys are here. And she said to me, I just feel like God wants us to be here. And that was kind of where the journey began. And so they started coming to my class in the fall. And Kristen was just the most extroverted, would answer any question, you know, and Clay is more of a introverted, quiet soul. And so she kind of was my security blanket a lot during my (laughs) class. Anytime I would just be like stumped or everyone would just be silent. You know, I could always just trust for Kristen to just raise her hand and just, you know, help me out of the sinking silence. <laughs> and so we just, we just kind of grew to have a really close friendship. And in October of that fall, one of our members, her name is Camille. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I'll just never forget, she came to my office. She'd found a lump in her breast and she was just beside herself with emotion, of course, after being diagnosed. And I just felt this immense, like God was telling me she's going to be okay. And I prayed over her and we just kind of moved forward. And we shared it with our group that she had been diagnosed and we're praying and we're we're just all kind of bonding over Camille's diagnosis. And then about a month later, the day before Thanksgiving, Kristen also found a lump in her breast. And of course, from there, she was able to text Camille and they kind of built a bond together. Kristen's biopsy came back and it was triple negative breast cancer, which is the worst diagnosis that you can expect with breast cancer. And so both women being in my class, going through treatment together. They went through chemo together. They went through radiation together. And, you know, a lot of this is in Oklahoma City, which is a two-hour drive from Ardmore. And so they built this relationship together with these highs and these lows, and our class just kind of came alongside them. So that summer while they were in the middle of treatment, Kristen just kind of had an experience with God that she had shared with me. She was a occupational therapist. So she she traveled all over Oklahoma to do her job. And there was just this moment where she was in her car and God just kept telling her to pull over on the side of the road. And this kind of went on for a couple of days. And she 
finally gave in and she pulled over and she just kind of sat in the middle of an Oklahoma field. <laughs> and she she recalls it just, I must have looked crazy. But she's telling me this story because she just kind of got on her knees and she prayed and she cried out to God because her results just hadn't been exactly what she wanted them to be after after the chemotherapy. And she was moving into radiation and she just felt lost with what she was facing. And she got on her knees and she she prayed and she just said, I just need you to show up here. And when she opened her eyes, all around her were butterflies. And she says that a butterfly fell on the cancerous part of her breast, but also on a lymph node that had, it moved to a lymph node that had also lit up cancerous. And she just felt this immense peace in the middle of that field. And she got back in her car and she went on with her daily life. And she told me that story when I was getting ready to preach a sermon in the summer. And I was looking for a story about pausing. And I just had gone over and over like that we need to be still in God's presence. And I just felt like her story was so raw and had just happened. And I wanted her to be able to share it. And so I just didn't really want to put it in, but I just could not find another story that fit. And so I finally, like the week before I was supposed to preach, I asked her if I could share the story that now in our town is called the butterfly story. And she said, yes, I would love for you to. And so it's just neat looking back because we got to write that together. We got to write it down. And she got to hear me preach it in July when I got to see her, hear her testimony. And so I, I think that that moment for me, God just knew that I needed it written down for what we were about to kind of go through. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's really beautiful. Yeah. So what happened next in Kristen's story? So Labor Day weekend, she got to throw Clay's parents their 50th wedding anniversary. Big party. She'd been planning all summer and it went off without a hitch. And kind of at the end of that party, she was just feeling run down. When they went home, she just kind of had an elevated heart rate. And so they took her into the emergency room here in Ardmore and they just couldn't ever get that heart rate to settle back down into a normal rhythm. So they took her to Oklahoma City and they put her on the ECMO machine and I was able to visit her in her hospital room and I went in and she just had her same big smile and and she was like, ah, I'm, I'm frustrated that I'm here and I'm frustrated this is happening, but I just feel immense peace. I've never felt God's presence like this before. And I just said, well, what, what do you want me to do? And she just asked if I would pray. And so Camille and I prayed over her. And when we left and we checked on Clay and we went back to Ardmore, I just felt like God telling me on the car ride home that she was on her way to him. She was on her way home. And she passed away after Labor Day weekend on September 9th at 2 o'clock p.m., surrounded by so many from our church and her family. And after that happened, I got the call that she had inevitably passed away. I was just so overwhelmed by everything that I felt like was lost. Kristen and I had made so many plans 
especially with Warren and Hayden, to do some just fun things. And I just felt like so much was gone. And she had gone through so much in the past 10 months. And I just really, um, I just needed a moment. And so I walked around my neighborhood and was just listening to worship music. And when I looked up on the house in front of me, it was just this big blue butterfly. And I just knew, I knew she was with him and I knew she was whole and not hurting. And I just know from her story and from every moment since she's passed, his presence is really the only thing that we can be sure of in our life is that he will never leave us. And so I just really felt him in that moment. And so now anytime any of us see a butterfly, we remember Kristen and we just always remember his presence with her and now his presence with us. I'm going to think that when I see a butterfly next to you. Yes. Yeah. Oftentimes when people on the podcast have shared about their grief, it's been within their own story, their own individual kind of maybe siloed off life a bit, but hearing Kristen's story brings another element to the table. And that is what grief is like in the body of believers, a group of people who have walked together, who love God together, and then suffer a loss together and have to pick the pieces back up Mm -hmm. and try to, this is a phrase my dad says all the time, try to stick like glue, like to not let their own grief break them, but to say like, this is awful what has happened. Losing Kristen is devastating to our community and to people that we dearly love. But also God will make all of this better again. And that hope in the resurrection is what is going to hold us together. How have conversations and community looked like after losing Kristen? So one thing that we really wanted to do was obviously support Clay and her boys. Of course, my class is more of a couples class. And so I just really wanted him to feel at home and that he could come back. And so one thing Kristen had really pushed me to do was to open the class up to invite people. In her passing, so many people have told me, oh, my gosh, Kristen invited me to come or Kristen invited me to come. Kristen invited me to come. That's just who she was. And so in her passing, our class has grown. Um, she's, she's made it double. I'm doing a new study on intentional parenting by Doug and Kathy Fields, and it's really, really fantastic. And that was just a nice way to just say, invite a friend. Let's kind of all do this together. But the immediate circle, I would say I've just learned so much about losing someone that Ardmore is in its own a circle, a community that just poured and poured and poured into Clay and Kristen's family and her boys. But, you know, it's now almost been three months since this has happened. The circle has gotten smaller and smaller. And I think just loving on people when it's your time, is just so important to learn during grief. And I would just say, just be yourself. Just be authentic. The relationship that you had before is kind of what you have to rely on. And also mentioning her, mentioning her to her boys, mentioning her to Clay. We all miss her immensely. She was a big presence. And I think just being okay to tell stories about her, laugh about her, or talk about her has actually been really freeing for me. Because I just can't not tell her story or the impact that she's had on my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
we need each other because we, not that we live in fear of what will happen, but we also live with eyes wide open. And we know that death is a reality and that suffering is a reality. And we need the local church and we need each other when we walk through those things. You know, we're all going to have a time when we're going to be the ones that have to be picked back up off the floor. Right. And I think with Kristen, too, she always said it just it just feels like God drew me to the church. And he did. I mean, he did it in a time frame of summer. She came fall. She joined the class. They were actually baptized in October. And then she got her diagnosis in November. I mean, we're talking about a year that she was even in the local church. It was fast. And I just, he knows that we need each other. And I think that's why you see when, when Jesus is on the cross and he says, mother, here's your son, here is your mother. I think he's saying that because he knows it's better to have each other, to look around and see, okay, I've lost this, but who do I have around me? And you're going to have that with your community. But I also think he knows because it's better for him to go away. It's better for him to be with God so we can have the resurrection, so we can have the hope of the Holy Spirit with us. And so as painful as it is, death and um, living through death, I think when you're in community, it's, it's easier to see resurrection life all around you because of all the relationships that he's given you. And the only bond that you have together is the Holy Spirit. Amy, I love you and your story. Mm. And I'm so grateful. I love Ardmore from afar. Somewhere there is a photo of me standing on a median with my arm across a welcome to Ardmore something. I'm going to find that. And I need to find it too. So I just say that for hopefully some of your friends in Ardmore will get to hear you tell the story. They'll get to hear again or for the first time the story of Kristen's impact and the local church and what a beautiful woman it sounds like that she was and how God is still using her in his kingdom and how he's going to make all of that new again. But anyway, I love Ardmore. I love the church in Ardmore. And even though... I always hold out like a 5% hope that you guys would come to Tulsa. Yeah, I really think God has you in Ardmore. So I'm I've pretty much like resigned to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we wrap up, I'm going to ask you a lighthearted question. And that is, what are you really actually going to do <laughs> the rest of the day before you have to go pick up the boys? Well, I did make a nail appointment. So (laughs) I'm going to go get my nails done. And I assume I will fold laundry because that never ceases in my home. And I think I will just enjoy the silence Mm -hmm. for a little (laughs) bit longer until three o'clock. That's right. That's right. Right. But who's counting, right? No. Watching the clock. I love it. Okay. Well, enjoy your silence and your laundry. In your nail yes. appointment. Yes, I will. I love you too. 